And today's topic, business resilience, is one that I know a lot of people struggle with because business setbacks and crises come in all shapes and sizes. Everything from losing your biggest customers to quadrupling of your medical benefit costs to computers getting hacked to poor hiring decisions, especially in a small company or with a small team where one person, especially in a senior leadership position, can kill morale and productivity. Or maybe there's a leadership crisis due to a lack of succession planning. A key member of your leadership team dies unexpectedly, and now there's a leadership void. And then, of course, there are the classic examples of a crisis or setback. A tragic event happens, causing a media firestorm. And in these days, even a small misstep that causes a social media response that goes viral can be a problem, as well as everything in between, including killer lawsuits. So you knew I was going to mention that. But when something like that hits you head on, you're initially in shock. You're landing on your assets hard. What the heck just happened here? You're, you're trying to process it from a physical perspective. How badly am I hurt? From a financial perspective, can I afford it? And also from a strategic business perspective, what does this mean for my employees, my customers, my shareholders, or other stakeholders? You want to know if you're going to be okay. And in that moment, you're not sure. You feel threatened, you're vulnerable, and overwhelmed about how to navigate the unfamiliar territory. And finding the strength to move through it and move forward can be a challenge, especially if you're in a business leadership role and people are looking up to you for what to do and you don't know yourself. She's a respected and trusted business advisor, an Ivy League business expert, best-selling author, and no-nonsense lawyer. She's Hannah Hassel-Kelchner. Whether you're an entrepreneur or an intrapreneur working for someone else, I want to give you the inside scoop on how to ignite more business success by doing the right things in the right way. Because no one likes getting blindsided by what you don't know but somehow should or getting stuck paying for it later. Think of it as a mini MBA and school of hard knocks wrapped in one and on steroids. This is Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hassel-Kelchner. Brought to you by Business MO LLC. Lucky for you, today's special guest is resilience expert Becky Sansbury. She has a roadmap to not only help you through the mess, but to also help you move forward and nurture your business to health and more wealth. Becky is the author of the book, After the Shock, getting you back on the road to resilience when crisis hits you head on. And she's the owner of the consulting firm, Real Life Communication. She has spent decades showing people there's not only a light at the end of the tunnel that's not a freight train, but also helping to guide them there as an ordained minister and also as a counselor serving professionals stripped of their jobs through no fault of their own during our recession. Look, it can't hurt to have someone in your corner who has some pull-up stairs. But seriously, Becky wrote the book After the Shock to serve as a handbook and virtual support for anyone in crisis or walking along someone who is in crisis. She's a sought-after speaker, talking to organizations where bad news is often the order of the day, clarifying the chaos surrounding crisis, and offering effective ways to replace loss with resilience. And so it is such a treat to have her here with us today. Welcome to Business Confidential, Becky. Hannah, I have never had a more glorious introduction. Accurate, but glorious. <laughs> Thank you so much. 
Oh, it is my pleasure. It is my pleasure. You have really done God's work in more than one way, helping people when they're at their most vulnerable. And you've spent your career working with people in crisis. And so tell me, what have you learned that applies to business? First thing I learned, Hannah, is that no surprise, business is made up of people. People on their good days, people on their bad days. People, when they behave at their wisest, and as you sometimes see in your work, perhaps at their most foolish. And if there's anything that will test us and propel us a bit more to the foolish than the wise side of life, it is a crisis. It is a disruption. Sometimes people assume that crisis, whether it's in their life outside of business or their life uh, within their business, whatever it may be, and the crisis means, as you described earlier so accurately, a huge disruption, uh, whether it's in health, whether it's in the economy, whether it's in the workforce. But I think we sometimes uh, downplay those many crises that disrupt our day and throw our thinking off track. So one of the things that I have found is that the same things that apply to helping us in our life outside of business work the same way because we're actually people when we show up at work. That's true. And the more employees you have, the more cross-section of our diverse population you have. And they bring with all of the things that are happening at home. But, you know, there are some managers out there who would say that I don't care about their marriage issues, their kids' issues, their finances, their personal stuff. You know, leave it in the parking lot. And what do you think about that? What are your thoughts? My thoughts are what work. And yes, I am very interested in human beings for their feelings, for their perspectives, their philosophies. But when you're talking about business, let's just get right down to it. What works? What I have found from my perspective that works is just the opposite of leave it in the parking lot. Now, it's not to say that every day in the office, uh, on the manufacturing line, on the sales force, is a therapy session. Please don't hear that. But what I am saying is that when we treat each other and take care of each other like real people, real results occur. I have been very heartened recently to have substantiated that opinion by people who are in either the talent acquisition role or in the role of maintaining a strong workforce. So I'm going to bring to you today quotes from two women who represent very large and very prosperous entities and see if their words substantiate the don't leave it in the parking lot perspective. From the vice president of HR for Microsoft, Kathleen Hogan, this quote, we ask employees to bring their A game to work every day to achieve our mission. We believe it's our responsibility to create an environment where people can do their best work. And from Tony Grants, who's the chief talent officer for Netflix, one of those companies that's knocking the stocks out of the stock market right now, in response to their recent adjustment on maternity leave, we want employees to have the flexibility and the confidence to balance the needs of their growing families without worrying about work or finances. And she wraps this up by saying, people perform 
better at work when they aren't worrying about home. Straight from the people who are running large and very prosperous businesses. Those are some great points, you know, and, and I know from my own experience working with organizations when, for example, they brought in day- daycare facilities for their employees who had young children that weren't in school yet, they found those employees to be more productive because it was on site. They could go check on their children. They didn't have to worry. And that made it a lot easier for them to focus on their job. Seems kind of counterintuitive. I get that. The thing is, though, not everybody is a Microsoft or a Netflix. There are a lot of folks that are probably listening who are smaller businesses. Maybe they're midsize. Maybe they're closer to startup and they have a single owner. What advice would you have for them when they don't have a big staff to call on or huge resources to deal with those crises, whether they're big ones or the mini ones? I think that is a tremendous point, Hannah. I do not run a large-scale business intentionally. The nature of my work, it works much better to bring in contract folks when I need them, and many times I am working solo. So I truly understand that perspective. What I'm going to offer will be jumping into part of the process that I have put together, because what this does is it teaches us first as individuals, and then as we are individuals together, whether it's in a business, a family, a community, some other organization, ways to stabilize when crisis comes our way. There are four key fundamentals to us as human beings that help us to stabilize. You can picture this like the tires on a car that phrase that when the rubber hits the road, this is the part that gives us stability right on the smooth parts and the potholes of life. Those four tires can be compared to these four elements of life, comfort, control, community, and connection to something bigger than ourselves. Now, the reason I mentioned this at this time in conjunction with your question about the small or solo business person is that there are times we have to look at exactly what's going to work for just me or where I am in this crisis and a few employees. When we can pay attention to the smaller parts of life, ironically, they have a massive impact on bigger parts of life. For example, you may have a ritual that you follow in the morning when you begin your workday. Maybe it's a news site that you check. Maybe it's having your cup of coffee or tea at your desk. Maybe it's a phone call that you make to check on someone or a conversation you have each day. But somehow it seems like your day starts better when you follow that ritual or that pattern. When a crisis occurs, one of the first ways that we can regain some stability is to look at what are the elements in a workday that bring some aspect of comfort or a feeling of being in control to me or to the people around me and get some aspect of that reinstated as quickly as possible. I don't know about you, but I'm a cup of coffee in the morning person. And if I don't have it, something's just thrown off and I don't do as well. Well, I live in an area with storms and old trees, and that sometimes means power disruption. 
what I learned early on is I fire up that grill with a side burner. I've got some instant access to coffee. I get it made. It may not be as good as usual, but it's something that's brown and resembles coffee, and it gets me back in that pattern of feeling like I'm in control of my day. Now, this might seem like a bit of a frivolous suggestion, but the illustration is made for a reason. When we feel like we can get control of even something small, we then gain the confidence to look at larger and larger pieces where it may be different, but we have some aspect of control. We have some aspect of bringing a comfort to ourselves or others. With the small uh, business person or independent business person, two tires are also very important. Those two tires on our vehicle of life that we would call community and connection to something bigger than ourselves. Community can mean absolutely any type of community. It may be your work community. It may be professional organizations. It may be your vendors. It may be your clients. It may be organizations where you have connections in the community. And then, of course, your family or people who are your friends. One of the things that is very important when a crisis occurs, whether it's a minor disruption or it's a cataclysmic type of crisis, is that we turn to our community. And this is where it's particularly important for that um, business owner or employee who does not have a large team or, as you said, a, a Microsoft-sized business. We do not hide and we do not avoid because what we find is that there is a high cost of pretending and there's a high cost for preserving that pride that says I can do everything myself. And sometimes we look at who are my colleagues, who are the people who can help to fill in the gaps at this time. Perhaps you need to call on someone who can step in for you. Perhaps you need to call on a client and ask them if it is all right with them to perhaps it's to delay something or to reschedule something. You look at the ways that you interact with your community, and basically, you call in the truth. What this does then, it's like taking your foot off of the emotional gas pedal of the moment that's just fueling crisis, 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 and it's giving yourself a chance to coast just a little bit, catch your breath, and reassess where things are. Sometimes it may be um, needing to partner with a parallel organization to provide supplies that are needed, to provide manpower, to still um, help you think through alternate plans. And I compare this, Hannah, to our community savings account, build relationships for the purpose of drawing on those accounts. But I think anyone who has invested in varieties of communities around them knows that if you invest in a community, when the time comes that you need something, they are willing to return to you. So one of the advanced pieces of advice I give to any organization, any individual, and particularly a solo or small business owner, is when it's not a time of crisis, Invest in the individuals and the communities 
uh, that are appropriate for you, there may be a time when you will need to make um, a withdrawal on that savings account of involvement. When we are connected to something that's bigger than ourselves, it ties in with that community, and then it can also give us a sense of purpose. And when we are feeling that perhaps things are totally out of control, we look to those things that give us a sense of purpose. For some people, it is within their uh, religion, their philosophy, their ethnic group. For some people, it's their alma mater. But it's, again, organization, a group, a belief that's bigger than me and helps to give me a sense of rootedness and groundedness when I feel like everything else is blowing about around me. Those are some of the key ways that I think the person who is in a small or solo business can make preparation ahead of time or consider in the midst or immediately following a crisis of how can I help me so I can get back to the business I have of serving other people and my clients. Those are great tips for developing stability or regaining stability, I should say. But what about the big organizations? I mean, yeah, they may have more resources, but are their problems the same? I will give you a directly ambivalent answer. They're the same and different. And I say that because <laughs> right. at the micro level, a leader is an individual first. Some individuals respond very well in a time of crisis or depending on what the crisis may be. Just because a person is a good financial officer, just because a person is a good operations person, uh, a manager in some capacity or other, doesn't mean that depending on the crisis, they automatically respond smoothly, calmly, or with a clear-headed insight. Also remember that crisis is very personal. For some people, a crisis that involves health or perhaps end of life is completely unsettling. But a financial crisis, well, it may take a little thinking, but it's not the end of the world. Or even if it appears to be the end of the world, they have more resources to address that. So crisis is personal. In a large organization, what can happen with top leadership is that there is an assumption that this person who is normally extremely well-educated, well-experienced in that line of business, and frankly, well-paid, handles every type of crisis equally well. The challenge comes when you have a a roller coaster ride in the the C-suite. And sometimes judgment arises, sometimes a splintering of how should we handle this, what should we do. And one of the things that happens that is perhaps most detrimental to the large organization is that leadership will remain cloistered and closed off until they feel they have that one unified, perfect answer. Well, you and I know what happens Um, as they say that the mushrooms and monsters grow in the dark, when the rest of the employees do not have any kind of information, don't have any kind of word from the top, what are the things that happen in that secrecy? Rumors, anxieties, fears, distrust, and, of course, 
we don't even have to mention what happens to productivity. That's a wash. So one of the things in looking at a large organization is the encouragement that even before you have all of the answers, communicate as openly as possible with as many people as possible. Because this then rallies the troops and brings that sense of community to the larger organization without creating that artificial divide of those few leaders making all the decisions, holding all the information, and all the rest of us. One of the other things is to realize that there are times that leaders um, like to feel they have all the answers and are hesitant to bring in any outside perspective. Or if they bring in outside perspective, it's only from their own industry. There are times when there's massive disruption that it helps to bring in not only perspectives from folks who understand exactly your industry, but it also helps to bring in the perspective of people who simply understand crisis and disruption and then pay attention to what they say. Not that an organization's um, chief officers have to take in everything that a consultant uh, or someone in that nature offers, but to give it good heed uh, in a large organization is to find people who can specialize in some aspect uh, to, to break, uh, let me put this more clearly, to, to break down the responsibility, even in a different way than they might be on a normal operating basis. So, for example, you might find out that within your organization, Joe, who is head of maintenance, is actually a very respected person in one quadrant of the organization. Just because he's a wise fellow, he seems to listen well, and he has a way that people calm down and rally around when they hear Joe say something or when he's in their presence. He may not have the title of HR. He may not have the title of area manager. But he's a respected person, and this is the one thing he can do well. It's a smart move for leadership in a time of crisis to pull in the equivalent of all the Joes in the organization who have very special abilities that will bring about just what we talked about earlier, some aspect of comfort, helping to regain a sense of control, bringing the community together, and reminding people of the greater mission of this company. And that is one of the things in a large organization that is a central point that can be a very stabilizing place. Folks, we may be offline right now. We may have had um, this death in the C-suite. We may have had our computers crash, whatever it is. But this is who we are. This is what we do. Now let's work together to get back on track with our mission and back on purpose. And in a large organization, you have a variety of people who can help you do it. Don't keep everything clustered with just the top four or five people. That's really very sound advice. I appreciate that. Now you wrote this book, After the Shock, and I'm curious about two things. A, what prompted you to finally get around to writing this book? And B, where can people find it? 
what prompted me to write the book is both long ago and within the past year. Long ago, as I began working with people in crisis, I felt within myself that I had, you might call it a, a contract with them, an unspoken contract, that they handed to me gems of wisdom and insight, sometimes by what they said, often by how I watched them respond. And they provided to me a wisdom way beyond my own, a collective wisdom. They invited me into their life, sometimes their homes, sometimes their business, at a very, as you said, vulnerable time, a time when we don't like to admit that we don't have everything together, but reality says we don't. And they allowed me in that place. They talked with me openly. And out of that, they gave to me some amazing gems of wisdom. Within myself, I promised that in great appreciation for this, there would come a time and a way that I would be able to share this with larger audiences, with more people, I've been able to do it over the years uh, through speaking to larger groups, through consulting, uh, either with leadership or with organizations. But then there came that point of you can only talk to so many people, even if you're a star on YouTube. One of the ways that we tend to share information in our society is through a book. I happen to be in conversation with a wonderful editor in my area, in my geographic area, and she had time in her calendar to work with a subject matter expert who needed to get those ideas out of head and into written form with just the magic combination that I needed to partner with a great editor and get this book out of my head, out of my speaking notes, uh, out of general conversations that I had and into a book. And that's what happened. And uh, the paperback book was uh, printed and uh, made available, and now the digital version as well. It can be most easily accessed through Amazon uh, and both versions. But as is always said, uh, if you need, if you want to go to your neighborhood uh, favorite bookstore and ask them to procure it for you, it's got an ISBN number, and anybody can get hold of a book. I'm so glad that you were able to finally put all your thoughts together between two covers so that people can access it because there's a lot of great information. I know we've only scratched the surface of it, but it's just tremendous amount of wisdom that when the sauce hits the fan, you need help cleaning it and certainly a roadmap to help you do that. As we're winding down here, Becky, I'm just wondering if there's one piece of confidential information about moving from a crisis reaction to resilience that businesses should know about? I would say don't do it backwards. And here's what I see way too often. I mentioned to you those four tires of comfort, control, community, and connection. The remaining parts of my process are looking at this experience in relationship to other experiences and what have you learned in the past that you can apply now. Taking a look at your overarching assumptions and beliefs and how are they guiding you and are they guiding you in the right direction and do you need to adjust them, rather like the steering component of your car. And the final part are what are your resources 
What do you have? What do you need? Who can help you get what you need? The reason I mention this, Hannah, is because resources, the final step of the after the shock process, the resilience process, is the resources, that's the part that companies, people individually, and any size of an organization, that's what they look at first. Let's throw some money at this. Let's get a new plan. Let's hire some people that involve stuff or people. Because after all, if we have enough money, new plans, new people, surely it will take care of whatever this big problem is. That's backwards. And it makes as much sense as being at the gas station and you've got two tires at your feet. There are two tires out by the road. The shell of the car is in the bay of the garage. The steering wheel is over at the other gas pump. And you stand there holding the gas nozzle, spraying gas over the whole circumference of all of those parts. And you wonder why the car won't go down the road. This is what I see way too often that for individuals, businesses, any type of an organization, they want to start with the last component, the resources, spray it all around when they haven't built the car or the vehicle for moving forward from the ground up. So let's take a look at those less glamorous parts, comfort, control, community, connection to something bigger than just us, and get a stable base. And then look at experience, ours and others, the assumptions that are guiding us. And when we get that put together, we know the type of resources that we have at hand or we need to procure. That is the magic ingredient that often gets overlooked. I love that. You know, it, it reminds me a lot of what I do, even though it's not always in, in about crisis, but the whole idea that people throw resources at things after the fact, yeah, maybe they can fix it, but it's not the total solution because, like you say, they're, they're spraying the gasoline around individual parts rather than building a solid, robust organization to begin with so that all the pieces are working together well. Instead, the lawyers have to come in and, and clean up the mess, which they are more than happy to do and, of course, charge you <laughs> handsomely for. But... But uh, there's just there's so much no control you can get. Yeah, exactly. And that and that's it. That, that's the resources. And it's because if you can find ways to gain control up front, the whole thing is less daunting. And actually, you can just roll on down the road, ease on down the road, as they say, right? So, Becky, thank you so much for your generous insights on how to make sense of business crises and move through it with grace and dignity and actually turn it into success giving you the inside scoop on how to ignite more business success by doing the right things in the right way. Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hassel-Kelchner. Brought to you by Business MO LLC. Thank you for joining me today on Business Confidential Now. You can get more information about today's guest and the resources we mentioned during today's show in the episode notes that are located on our website businessconfidentialradio.com. Sometimes we even include some bonuses and goodies, so be sure to check it out. That website again is businessconfidentialradio.com. 
And also don't forget to subscribe to the show. That is the easiest way to keep up with the show and our guests, those thought leaders, experts, and authors who are transforming businesses behind closed doors around the world. Let them help you too. Subscribe today for easy access to the business information you need to succeed. You know, the reason we call the show Business Confidential now is because you don't have time to wait. So just do it. Subscribe now and leave a review. We want to hear from you. We want you to be part of our growing Business Confidential Now family. Tell your friends and colleagues so they can subscribe too. Because the more subscribers we have, the more great guests we can bring you. And the more business intelligence you'll have available to ignite and fuel your continued business success. Have an idea or a topic, a guest that you'd like to hear on Business Confidential Now? Contact me at the website, businessconfidentialradio.com. And connect with me on social media, too. We'd love to hear from you and stay in touch. Next week, Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hazel-Kelchner will be back with more of the business intelligence and inside scoop you need to succeed. Till then.